I'm Chris. And I'm Kylie. And this is Redefining Resilience. Where we explore what it means to build a resilient lifestyle. So you can thrive in any and every situation. What are we talking about today? Talking about reappraisal and reality testing. So we're still in which domain? Composure. Ooh. And what's composure all about? Staying calm and in control and being able to regulate our emotions. Mm. So now I see how it fits in. <laughs> it's like a puzzle piece. Way to play dumb. <laughs> I don't yes. even know where we are right now. Yes, composure is your ability to stay calm and in control when you're facing stress or adversity. Also helps you recognize and understand your emotional reactions so that you can respond the way you want to and regain your composure. Boom. I love it. So reappraisal and reality testing are two skills that can help us regain our composure if we're starting to lose a grip on... Our emotions. So when you say lose a grip, you mean like you feel your emotions taking over your decision-making processes? Yeah. I mean, think about it. There's so many things that we experience throughout the day that can lead to frustration or negative emotions or what we're going to talk about as disruptive emotions that lead to unproductive behaviors hmm. okay unproductive behaviors yeah i mean imagine let's say i'm in the gym and i can't complete a lift the way i want to and then i decide to throw a log weighing approximately like 300 pounds 350 pounds in a fit of rage that would be an example of me losing my composure. What happens if the log only weighs 275 pounds? Does that count still? Well, if you're throwing it in a tantrum, yes, it still counts. Okay. <laughs> a fit of tantrum is what I threw it in. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I wasn't talking about you specifically. It's awfully odd how that scenario fits. Exactly. <laughs> how many guys you hang around in the gym throwing logs around? Just you. Uh, whittles it down then, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Anyway, so we're going to talk about disruptive versus constructive emotions. And then we're going to talk about how we can leverage reappraisal and reality testing to help us get to a place where we're in a constructive emotion. Cool. I'm excited. Sounds like it. Well, yeah, I think this will be good. This is the... After you stub your toe moment, right? I just talked about that today at coffee. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. That's yeah. good. Monica was like, I can't wait to stub my toe now because I'm going to know exactly how to handle it. You know, that sounds stupid, but that's really cool. I know. Yeah, I, I know. Like that. All right. So disruptive versus constructive emotions. These are classes of emotions, meaning we're classifying them into to two categories. 
And splitting them up helps us classify and label them. And labeling is a big part of understanding our emotions because we can't deal with emotions if we don't even know what we're experiencing. Which I think is the number one problem for a lot of people. Oh, for sure. Uh, they might know one or two labels. So anything that is an emotion ends up being anger or happiness as opposed to all the other little ones that it could be that would help you navigate that better. But if you're always landing on one or two, then you kind of feel lost when you talk about emotions. So examples of disruptive emotions, rage, hate, anxiety, fear, defeat, grief, jealousy, inferiority, loneliness, misery, shame, depression, or apathy. And the reason they're called disruptive emotions is because it reduces your ability to think clearly. So if you think back to a time where you felt one of those emotions, how clearly were you thinking at that time? Definitely tunnel visioned into that feeling, that emotion. So if we maybe go back to when you threw a log... Yeah, it's overwhelming. You end up just, all you can see is the failure right in front of you. Mm-hmm. You're still in the same space and time and in the world that you were in before that you were happy or not frustrated. But for some reason, that one emotion is so powerful. It, it overwhelms everything. Well, and if outside looking in, because I was on the outside looking in, watching you throw a log... If I had to put myself in your shoes, I would say the emotion, the disruptive emotion that you felt was defeat. More frustration than defeat. Okay. Defeat is I physically can't do it. Frustration is I know I can. I just can't put the pieces together, which is for me far more frustrating because that means I failed somewhere else. So, yeah. Okay. So if we go back to the log incident, of 2023. <laughs> yes. <laughs> An old 23 log incident. <laughs> what was the emotion you felt at that time when you could not get that log above your head? It would, it would be frustration. Because I know I'm capable of doing it. I just couldn't put the pieces together. Which isn't defeat because defeat is I just physically can't do it. No matter how many pieces are together. This I just couldn't fire off like I wanted to. And okay. I just couldn't make it work. Well, and it's interesting because frustration is actually an emotion that we would categorize as constructive displeasure. Ooh. And it's a strong motivator, but it has to be actively guided to be useful. Yeah. Meaning you would have to actively channel that frustration and put it into action for it to be productive. That's why it's not necessarily a disruptive emotion or a constructive emotion. It's constructive displeasure. So you didn't completely give up after that, right? No, you need them. So I don't want to go down that road if we don't have to, but that's just part of the process. Yeah, and and I will say that I think if it were defeat, you probably would have packed up and just gone home at that moment. But you you went and you did some other lifts and did some bicep curls and just carried on with your workout, working on some other lifts. 
that would help you build the strength to be able to go back and do that again. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I think you use that in a constructive way and didn't let the disruptive emotion of defeat take over in that situation. So it's a great example for us to look at. So constructive emotions examples include feeling empowered, ecstatic, joyful, excited, grateful, happy, determined, thoughtful, confident, stimulated, hopeful, interested, or content. And these are constructive emotions because they're generally helpful and really good for our well-being. Like all of those were, were positive emotions that I can do something productive with. And they all seem to be ones that spur you on to keep moving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they keep us motivated. And then there's neutral emotions as well, which could be confusion, distraction, bored, tired, surprised, energetic, peaceful, calm, serene, sleepy, or relaxed. They're not motivating by themselves, but they can be helpful for shifting into a, a place of acceptance where then you can move into a constructive emotion to take action. So I think of them as kind of like the bridge. Yeah. To get to a positive place. That way the leap isn't so big. Yeah, right? Because if you're having a hard time going from like defeated to excited. Well, I don't really know anybody that goes from defeated to excited. No, it's impossible. You can't get your brain to believe that that is really an option. No. So we have to have a stepping stone to get us there. And that's why I think these... Neutral emotions can be very helpful because they can help us accept the negative or disruptive emotion that we may be feeling and shift to this place of neutrality because then if I can go to a place of like, okay, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised I couldn't make that lift, but I, I can do something with that and say, all right, here's a plan of attacks for how I can go about this next time or what I need to work on so that I can build up the strength to make that log go over my head. Well, I think it's like anything else that you're trying to, we're, we're essentially anything planned in the future. You're blind to the actuality of that day and time in the future and all the things that compile to get there. So you're making guesses on, especially in weightlifting, you're making guesses that these stimulus now will equal a result in the future and you don't know exactly what the future has and what's going to work and what's not going to work, how you're going to feel, how your body's going to move. So it's easy to get racked with defeat because you have plans that don't necessarily work out. But like you're saying, if you can land in a neutral place, you can then say, okay, this is part of my journey. This is part of the learning process. Because I didn't know everything that would go into this, I'm smarter now because I do I know now, and I can apply that to the next four, six, 12 week programming. I can make it better. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all just a learning curve. Right. Well, and I think 
being able to go into that learner mindset instead of thinking like this emotion is the end all be all and I'm never going to be able to get there. Like you're saying this is this is something I can learn from and I can use this information as data to help me do something different in the future. Exactly. It's all data points. Right. That's why I think if, at the end of the day, the emotions are good because you want to be passionate about the growth and the process that you're going through. Labeling is so helpful because the more accurately you can label the emotion, the better you can respond to it. Mm -hmm. And notice we said respond, not react. So I view labeling as building a map in your brain about where you are in space and time. So if you view every emotion as a different room in a house, as opposed to one big giant room, if everything was crammed into one room, it would be chaos. But if anger's in one room, frustration's in another, happiness is in another, you know where you are in the building and you can navigate it better. You know how to get to other places or get away from other places, see where you're headed. If you can't label it, you're lost. So I think that is first and foremost, the most important thing. I now have a visual of the game Clue in my head. And instead of yeah. rooms, we're now in emotions. I love it. I think that's a great analogy. Well, and as Chris said, it helps you understand where you are in space and time. It helps us see patterns over time, gain perspective in the moment. So that we can realize if we're responding in a useful way or if maybe we need to respond differently. Because it's your job to control it, right? It's not everybody else's job to deal with it. It's your job to control what's going on in your body, in your brain, your mind, and your reactions. This, it's all you. You're the only one there that can control it. And if it's out of control, you become a a time bomb for anything. Well, and if you're defaulting to disruptive emotions, you're not going to handle situations in a productive manner where other people are going to respond positively. If you're leading with disruptive emotions, that's the kind of response you're going to get from other people. So if you have to work together in a group, you're going to frustrate the other people that are trying to work with you and help you if you can't communicate in a calm, effective way and it's just coming out as disruptive emotion. I think it's also really important too to, to state it is okay if you feel nothing but disruptive emotion to say, right now, this is all I feel. Right now, I'm just pissed and I can't get over it because I'm really angry. Maybe I should work through being angry and then we can talk about this. Because being aware, self-aware enough to understand that you're just not going to come out of being angry right now. Like when I threw the log, you kept trying to throw like reasoning at me. And it's like, I totally understand where you're coming from. And <laughs> yes, I understand that like this isn't the end. But right now I'm so overwhelmed by it that like I have to process this before I can move on. I have to be in this room of frustration and throw some stuff around and then I can get out of here. But I have to, I have to be here for a bit. Yeah. I have one client who does a really great job of managing this. 
He his his go to move is just to shut it down and then get some time to think. Like he'll be on the phone with one of his teammates, and if he's dealing with a frustrating situation, he'll just say, "I gotta think on this," and he hangs up. And then we'll go sit in his car, go for a walk, come back whenever he feels like he's gotten into his clear thinking state of mind, come up with some solutions or some options, and then come back to his teammate and say, okay, here's what I came up with. What a beautiful thing. He just immediately hangs up and he's like, I got to think on it. And then click. (laughs) And that's great. No, that's awesome. The self-awareness to understand you need to separate yourself from society for a second. And I can't continue because the things that are going to come out of my mouth are going to be emotionally driven. I don't want them to be logically driven. Sometimes things happen that are very, very emotional. And, and sometimes things that are small for some reason, the, the mouth that it came out of, Sends you into outer space. And if you learn that you have to, or what your processes are, and you got to go drive around, you got to walk, you got to do something, that's awesome. That's you taking care of you. I think that is, that's self, that's personal responsibility, self-control. Yeah. And it's self-regulation, right? That This is what we're trying to get to, this place where we can regulate our emotions. That is part of his process in regulating. Before you know it, over time, if he continues to exercise this response, it's going to get shorter and shorter. Mm-hmm. He's not going to need as much time to go think about things and cool off and process. It's going to be ha- happening quicker and quicker, right? So that that time is going to shorten with practice. We're flexing muscles in our brain right now. So over time, we do it enough times, your brain is going to start to build some muscle memory around it. And it's not going to take as long for you to process. It's just going to be your automatic response now because you've reprogrammed your default thinking. I think that's really cool. Anybody taking responsibility for their life like that, I get I get tingles. I think that's neat. So I want to think about disruptive emotions as an opportunity for you to ask yourself some questions. This is how we grow as people and understand our minds, which eventually allows us to choose different responses to these types of situations. So questions we can ask ourselves when we're in these disruptive emotions. Why am I feeling this way? We so often just default to an emotion of anger And half the time, we don't even understand why we're angry. I think anger is the easiest one to slip into because it goes back to what we were talking about in the previous episode of trying to control everything. Mm -hmm. I'm mostly angry at failing a lift because I want to control the world and the way the outcome happens. But that goes back to labeling. If you don't know how to label anything other than anger, that's going to be your only default. Mm Mm-hmm. It's going to be real easy to slip into that hole or that groove because everything will feel like anger if you don't know what other emotions feel like. Yep. So asking yourself, why am I feeling this way? This is a great first step 
to trying to move into a constructive emotion. So why am I feeling this way? And then how does this relate to my goals? Maybe you're getting upset about something that ultimately like doesn't even matter in the big picture. Yeah. A lot of times we can have some sort of emotional reaction. Like let's, I'll give you a simple one. Sometimes I'll look on social media and I'll see somebody post about something and I'm like, why would they say that out loud? Let alone on a public platform. And then I get all worked up over somebody else's social media posts. And I'm like, why do I even give a shit what they're posting? And it's like, this person has nothing to do with my goals. Why am I getting so worked up over this? But it happens all the time. I think we live in a very interesting world, too, where we've been told that we're, our opinions are very, very valuable, are the most valuable in every situation, all the time, every day. It's so true. And like we're the main character in every single fucking movie. Yeah. We're not. We're just not. If The harsh truth is, if we die, the world keeps spinning. Our opinion is important to us and maybe the people that we love. But at the end of the day, it's not important to everybody. Yeah. And it's it's a load off my shoulders to understand that if I post something, I posted that lift my log press, the failure, and some guy wrote on there, future hernia patient. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't understand. I don't know this guy. I've Trigger. never seen him. And he thought it was important enough to take time out of his day to write something insulting on a post of somebody he has never seen, heard of, or talked to. But it's because we view our emotional opinions or our opinions and emotions as valuable all the time, Yeah, which makes everything paramount and everything super important, which skews our ability to deal with them. Because if they're all important, then everything's putting out fires. Everything's catastrophic. Yeah. And it's just not. Well, and it goes to the next question, which is, is it worth getting worked up over? Right? Because if once you start working your way through, why am I feeling this way? Does this even matter to my goals in the big picture? And is this worth getting worked up over? Chances are the answer is going to be no 99% of the time. Yeah, big fat no. <laughs> like not even worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So it helps you put things into perspective. Reappraisal. Now that we've, we've covered different types of emotions that we may be able or we may be experiencing. Reappraisal is shifting from disruptive emotions to constructive emotions of similar intensity. Now that we know what disruptive and constructive emotions are reappraisal is this skill that helps us go from shifting disruptive emotions into the constructive emotions of similar intensity. So easy example of this, because this is all a lot of academic talk right now, right? So in a practical situation, an example is anxious, which is a disruptive emotion, I could be feeling anxious if I've got a public speaking event coming up. I'm feeling anxious. Don't know how I'm going to be received. Don't know if they're going to like me. I don't know this group. I've never talked to these people before. This is a lot of pressure. There's going to be important people in the room. I'm feeling very anxious. That feels heavy, right? Well, I can shift to 
excitement because it's similar in intensity, but it takes me out of a disruptive emotion to a constructive emotion because when I'm in anxiety mode, I'm flooding my body with cortisol and adrenaline like I'm about ready to fight a bear. If I shift to excitement, I'm releasing serotonin in my body and I can move into this place of positive anticipation. Like you're about to get on a roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. You're super excited when you're about to go on the roller coaster. Yeah. When you're going up the, the first big hill to a drop, you know it's coming, but you know it's going to be fun. And so it's putting my brain in that place where I know this is coming, but it's going to be fun. And I'm excited to see what kind of impact I have on these people and what people are going to be able to learn and perhaps take an aha moment from it. But the key in this is to help your brain find reasons why you're actually excited. Because you can't just say, okay, I'm not going to feel anxious anymore. I'm just going to feel excited. No, no, no. It doesn't work like that. You're not going to trick your brain. Your brain is based off of beliefs. So you have to give it a reason to believe you're excited. You have to find the reasons why you're excited and you have to list them off. Whether you do that like on paper or in your head, doesn't matter. But list them off. Do you know my favorite part about all this is? You have to be very intentional. You actually have to take the time and think about the emotion in your head. Think about the emotion you want it to be and make it so. You have to list them. You have to be intentional about them. What do you want out of this? It just proves over and over, no matter what we talk on this podcast, that you are in control of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I'll give you a couple other examples. You might be thinking in your head, I'm feeling so defeated after that project went wrong. You could turn that into, I'm determined to learn from this experience and make the next project even better. completely different perspective on the same situation. I try to think about what did I learn? How am I better from the failure? Yep. What was 16 week programming at the end of it? I didn't hit what I wanted to, but what did I learn? Because I learned something. Yeah. It's just data. Yeah. Failure is data. When you can start to look at failure through the lens of neutrality Instead of, oh, I failed and this is the end of the, the road. This is telling me that I suck. I knew it. See? That's, that's not at all. Failure is inevitable. Well, it's actually, it's not even inevitable. It's a, it's a required part of the process. Absolutely. Like When just... you see successful people out in the world, they're successful because they've failed more times than everybody else. Yeah. They just kept going. That's what's so cool about failure. Most people are going to get knocked down and say, well, see, it didn't work. I'm going to try something different. And then other people will fail over and over and they'll just keep charging through because they are determined to attain their goals and they see the vision and they see the bigger picture. And I think a lot of the reason the failure happens is because you just don't know what's out in front of you. 
you are not presented with that situation and those set of variables until you're in them. And failure is a part of learning more about the people and things in the world around you. I've never been 37 years old before. I am now. I'm about to turn 38. I don't know what 38 is going to hold. Ooh, I didn't realize you were that old. I am. I'm, what, cool. 27 years older than you? Something like yeah, that? Yeah, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I'm four, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Comparatively. Yeah. No, I think it's cool. I think failure is a great window into, one, your energy levels. How passionate are you about this? And two, how much do you want it? Yeah. Another example that you might consider, you might be telling yourself, I feel miserable. Just broke up with my boyfriend. Instead of thinking that, you could think, I'm hopeful that I'm going to meet somebody new and it's going to be a great relationship. Yeah. I When I was dating, I looked at every quote, failed relationship or date. So when I was dating and these perspectives did not work out for me, I just gave myself reassurance afterwards and said, okay, it gave me data into what I want or don't want in a relationship. I just took it as factual information, right? This is a data point for me to consider what I like or don't like in dating, because you don't know until you've been there. I tell my daughters all the time. My oldest daughter's getting into dating, kind of figuring out what she wants, what she doesn't want. It's funny because you'll watch her push to the side or err on the side of social standards. Like, this is who I am told I should like. And she lives in a really small town, and she dated this like little farmer boy. And she just couldn't handle it. It was just not her vibe. But she dated this kid. Because she thought, based on her surroundings and her friends, friend group, this was who she was supposed to date. Well, it just fell apart. But you don't know till you're there. Yeah. I think it's super important to give yourself grace that you're in life too. You're trying to figure yourself out too. And it's fair to say, okay, this just doesn't work. And I didn't know. I didn't do this to hurt you or get hurt. I just didn't know. Yeah. So why is reappraisal so important? It's important because it shifts problems into opportunities. Failures become chances to learn and optimize. And crises are seen as challenges, not the end of the world. And it changes systematically how you experience life. That's super powerful. What, what does that mean? Like elaborate on that a little. Nothing is the end of the world when you have this mindset of everything is an opportunity for me to learn, right? It's the, the very definition of having a growth mindset is that everything we experience in life teaches us something that we're going to use down the road. And we all know that phrase, hindsight's twenty twenty, but sometimes we don't realize that the moment we're in right now is about to be a hindsight 2020 moment down the road. No matter where you're at in life, you might be unemployed right now and job seeking and thinking like life is so hard right now. I don't have a job. I don't have a purpose. Well, if three months from now you have the dream job lined up, you're going to realize that that 
what I call fun employment time of your life was such a wonderful break and just the necessary path to get you to the dream job. And now you can rest easy. Well, why not tap into that sense of relief while you're in the moment and then just enjoy those moments along the way? And I know this sounds outrageous, but when I was fun employed, I just took a step back and I'm like, listen, I've had a job for 15 years. I'm fucking tired. Why don't I just take this time and enjoy it? Because this is the first time since I was 15 years old that I wasn't working. Yeah. And I may not get this opportunity again. I may be working for the rest of my employed life, right? Like up until I retire, I may not have another gap. And it's a three-month gap or a five-month gap, six-month gap, whatever it may be. Why not enjoy it and find some peace in the whole thing? That's powerful. I like that. All right. So now that we've covered all this... When someone's listening to this podcast and they're, they're listening to reappraisal and our examples and everything, and they want to start this in their life and implement it, what, what's square one? Like, what would you do? Tell somebody, one of your clients that's never heard of reappraisal. Sure. Where would you start? So let's say you recognize that you've got this disruptive emotion that you're feeling. Let's first start by reinterpreting the situation into a positive. Why might this be a helpful situation? Next, we shift to an emotional response that could be constructive. So go back to the beginning of this podcast when we rattled off those constructive emotions. Choose one from that menu that seems like an appropriate shift. Like, I can get myself there. And then give yourself, give your brain, evidence to believe it. Why? Why am I excited and not nervous about this public speaking engagement? Why am I at peace with fun employment instead of disappointed or angry in myself for not having a job? So lots of internal dialogue. I mean, yeah, you end up talking to yourself a lot. Just don't do this in public. I mean, you can, just don't do it out loud. Yeah, yeah preferably. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to Redefining Resilience. To learn more about building your mental and physical readiness, check out odysseyresilience.org. And follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok. TikTok.